This is the Sports Psychology Hour with Dr. Andrew Jacobs. I cannot express the gratitude what my son came and visited you. Dr. Jacobs is in his 41st year as a sports psychologist. I have seen a change in youth sports in the last 10, 15 years. I've talked about it a lot on the show. The Sports Psychology Hour. The best advice on the radio each and every week. Failure and losing and screwing up is something that happens in life. It happens in sports. And I think we have to teach kids how to do that more effectively. This is where sports talk gets real. That word playing, it's gone from our society in a lot of ways with kids. I wanted to tell you what a great service you provide to this community. I listen to your show every week. Thank you for what you do for our community, for all the parents, coaches, and athletes. And now, here's your host, rated one of the best therapists in Kansas City, Missouri, by OnlineTherapy.com, Dr. Andrew Jacobs. Good morning, everybody. I'm sports psychologist Dr. Andrew Jacobs. Welcome to our show from our flagship station, Sports Radio 810 WHB in Kansas City. I'm here every week as we enter the world of your mind, the world of sports psychology. And we talk about things on this show pertaining to performance, mental health, confidence, sportsmanship, you name it, we delve into these topics on this show every week. I'm one of the first trained sports psychologists in the country. I've been in practice for 41 years here in Kansas City. I've had the privilege to work with every level of athlete, from youth sports all the way up to the professional and Olympic level. And, you know, I I, I really enjoy doing this show every week because we talk about all kinds of things on this show, about your mind, your attitude, your focus, how you handle success and failure, how you handle winning and losing. And as a psychologist, I work with people for people that don't know what goes on in a doctor's office. And when I work with athletes, the way it usually works is like this. If I get a parent calling about their child, I'll meet with the parents first and then bring the child into the session. And we all meet together and talk about why they're there and what's going on. We set up a mental game plan to work on things. And I'll work with athletes on things like how to concentrate under pressure, how to get along with teammates, what do you do when your confidence is failing, what do you do if you've got a bad attitude, what do you do if the coach doesn't get get you on the field, you don't get to play, how do you do with all these things? And we talk about these show, these topics on this show every week. And if you've listened to the show, you know I've been uh, podcasting our shows forever. They're on my website, winnersunlimited.com. I've got about eight or nine years of them on there, and our shows are all podcasted on all the apps all over the place. So encourage you to listen to them. We talk about a lot of different things on this show. And I get comments and calls. It's interesting. Every week from people all over the place call uh, with, with comments and feedback. And, you know, one of the things that I've talked about forever on this show is the importance of mental health and sport, whether it's athletes, whether it's coaches, whether it's fans, the whole psychological side of sports. And in the 41 years, actually 42 years counting grad school that I've been doing this, I've talked forever about why athletes are people. Athletes have feelings. Athletes have emotions. Athletes have to deal with stress and anxiety, depression, fear, pressure. And the last several years, we've seen this topic explode in the world of sports. I mean, I've been talking about forever, and people have called up and over the past and gotten angry at me for talking about this. But I'm like, hey, athletes have feelings. 
When I've worked with professional teams, with the Olympic team, with college teams, I've spent more time working with the athletes about who they are and how they're dealing with stuff than about how to focus when they're on the field. And this is a topic because this is Mental Illness Awareness Week, starting today, October 3rd through October 10th. We're going to talk about it today. And on the show today, we have a guest. Her name is Kim Carducci, and she has just written a book called The Eye of the Tiger. And she's going to join us here in a moment. Got a press release about her, and I wanted to have her on right away because this is awesome because this is what I've talked about forever. And she's writing about this as a former athlete, as a former Division One swimmer at the University of North Carolina. And the press release, and this is what got me, was the first line. I was nothing and no one without sports. That's not good because you are someone. So, Kim, good morning. Thank you for joining us today. Good morning. Thank you for having me on the show. Listen, this I, I'm really excited to read your book because you talk about you're talking about in this book everything I've talked about on the radio forever. Why'd you write this book? <laughs> Why'd you write this? Yeah, well, first of all, not that I can even speak on behalf of anyone, but thank you for the work that you do and that you've been doing as a former athlete experiencing depression. It's so important. So I'm grateful for the work that you do. So thank you. Well, you're welcome. You're welcome. Um, but I wrote. I wrote this book. Uh, I experienced depression after I retired swimming in college. I retired after my freshman year and then the next three years, which in college as a 19-year-old with, you know, liberated from sports, not ever having to go to practice again, it seems like it would have been the best time of my life. I had everything, every opportunity. I could have done anything I wanted. I never had to go to practice again. But it was the opposite experience. Let's, let, let me interrupt you for a second. Out. Let me interrupt you for a second. Mm-hmm. Because I worked with the Kansas City Blazers swim team here in Kansas City for almost 30 years. We had five Olympic gold medalists. My youngest son, Gregory, swam until his senior year at New York University. So I know exactly what you're talking about. Because swimming, and I've said this forever, I brought him a Kansas City Royals baseball pitcher to a swim practice one day. Because when I worked with the Royals, one day I was telling this, this guy, his name was Kyle Davies, said, KD, I said, my son works harder than you. Oh, come on, Doc. No way. I said, all right, <laughs> they do two-a-days, buddy. They're in the pool at 530 in the morning. So I picked him up at 5 o'clock, brought him to practice. After 15 minutes, he turned to me and says, Doc, you're right. We're nothing. <laughs> so go ahead. Go ahead. Yeah, that's true. Um, but, yeah, after I retired, I just really struggled building a new identity outside of sports. I didn't know what was important to me, what my values were, what to do with all this free time. And like I said, it sounds like it would have been great, but it was really depressing. And that experience is really what inspired me to write this book and dig into this topic and research what the trends are and what's actually going on. So let me ask you this question, and I'm really excited to talk to you on the show today about all this. Your identity was as a swimmer growing up, correct? Everybody knew you as a swimmer. Yes. Okay. Mm And have you been to any high school reunions yet? I just went to my 10-year reunion a couple weekends ago. Oh, perfect, (laughs) perfect. And everybody knew you as Kim the Swimmer. Yep. So what was that like because you're not Kim the Swimmer anymore? Yeah. um, I think it was fine now. You know, people knew me as that athlete girl. I was always there with the chlorine bun in my hair in class and at school. Um, 
But I actually, since I just wrote this book, I was talking about the book, and they're like, oh, yeah, that makes so much sense. Like, you were always swimming, you were always competing, so it makes sense you're doing something related to sports. So it, it didn't affect me, really, but, yeah, that, those were some of the comments. <laughs> yeah, and, and, you know, it's interesting because I play tennis, and it, I'll be going to my 50-year reunion next year. And uh, I know people. Oh, awesome. Yeah, well, I'm still around, so that's good. But everybody always <laughs> identified me at the 10, 20, 30, and 40 ones. Where's your tennis racket? So, right, there's always that identity. <laughs> and But now, you know, you decided to retire. And then you had to decide, what am I going to do? Right? Yeah, and actually, so that was about 10 years ago when I retired from swimming. And actually, the exact moment that inspired me to write this book was a year and a half ago. I was actually playing a tennis match with my boyfriend. We were playing a mixed doubles match, and it was in this local league to go to the next round of playoffs to eventually win the championship match. And that was special to me to keep winning these matches. We were undefeated. It was special to win with my boyfriend the championship match at the end. And we played an awful match, like shots into the net. We just were not communicating. You know tennis, so you'll understand. Well, let me let me let me let me stop right there. We we have to go to our we have to go to our first break. We have to go to our first break here, but I want to continue as we come back. I'm sports psychologist Dr. Andrew Jacobs, Kim Tarducci, the the author of The Eye of the Tiger, is joining me today. I'm sports psychologist Dr. Andrew Jacobs. This is the Sports Psychology Hour. This is the Sports Psychology Hour. Hello again, everyone. I'm sports psychologist Dr. Andrew Jacobs. My guest today here in the Sports Psychology Hour is Kim Carducci, the author of The Eye of the Tiger. So, Kim, go. let's continue what you were saying there about your tennis match with your boyfriend. Go ahead and let's finish that up. Sure. So we were playing this tennis match, and we played awful. We were not communicating. We both ended up on the same side of the court, and ultimately we lost the match. And me, being the hyper-competitive person I am, I was so upset over losing this match. I couldn't even talk to him after the match. I had to walk to the car and sit in silence for 10 minutes. I was so, so upset. And that night, I was so mad at the way we played. I sent him an email, my boyfriend. An wait, wait, you didn't, you, didn't break up, you didn't break up with him because of that, did you? <laughs> no. Okay, good, good. Okay. Thank God. He, he stuck with me. <laughs> um, but I sent him an email about all the ways he was the reason why we lost how I would never play tennis with him again. And wow. How it was just an awful experience. Yeah, it was so bad. So the next day, I woke up and I had this pit in my stomach of, oh, my God, what did I do? Why did I send that email? And then that that's when I was asking all these questions about who I am that inspired me to write the book. Why am I so competitive? Why can't I just lose this tennis, tennis match and move on like everyone else does? Why do I feel the need to lash out because I'm so intense? Why am I so critical? All of these questions, the only answer I could come up with was it relates back to 15 years of conditioning of being an elite athlete, being so competitive. So let me ask this question, because there's a lot of positive to that, but there's a lot of negative to that, too. What was, what's the difference for you? The difference in the, the the competitiveness of what you learned as an athlete, because there are so many great lessons. And 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 I'm going to say this: I've worked with athletes in so many different sports. I think swimming teaches you as much as anything about commitment and hard work and and sacrifice and confidence as as much as any sport, because you can't talk a lot when you're in the pool. Okay, you've got to you've got to <laughs> right. you know you've, it's it's all in your head. 
So I think there's so much that can be learned from that. But what did this do for you? I guess this highlighted that some of the characteristic traits that athletes have when taken out of context are actually detrimental and very harmful. When you're competing, being a perfectionist or being so critical or being you know, so harsh on doing everything right and making no errors, yeah, it's a harsh way to live, but it works. That's what helps you be successful. You have to be that intense if you want to win. But taken out of context, if you're just playing a local league tennis match or maybe you're an adult with a different career or you're in a relationship or a friendship or anything else, being that way does not work and is actually rather harmful. You're right. And in what way is it, has, was it what made you aware of being harmful, the harmful part for you? Just hurting someone that I loved, hurting someone I really cared about. That's a totally different type of pain. I can tolerate my own self-inflicted suffering, but hurting someone else that I really care about, I couldn't just wipe it away or fix it for him. That that type of pain was like, okay, I'm not living like this anymore. This is not the person who I want to be. You know, I, I've had the privilege of working with literally thousands of people, and I've mentioned this on the show before. In 1984 at the Olympics, I worked with our cycling team. I was the team psychologist for them for eight years, and in the Olympics, we competed in the first week. The second week, we had the week off. And a couple of the guys and I went down with Los Angeles. We went down to the beach and just took it easy. And one of the guys was sitting there, and very macho guy, just started crying. I said, what's, what's the matter? I said, Andy, I don't know what to do anymore. I said, what do you mean you don't know what to do? He goes, well, I'm done. I'm done competing as a cyclist, and that's all I've ever been. So your identity is so tied in to that. Mm-hmm. So how did you move on from that, Kim? What'd you do? I dove into a lot of self-discovery. I think other researchers have coined the term identity foreclosure, and it's when a person becomes so attached to a particular identity, just one, that they don't explore alternatives of who they might be. So for me, after I retired, I really had no idea what, who I was, what was important to me. You know, so I started paying attention to where I got energy from the day, where I, my energy was drained during the day. I took like a professional personality assessment just to get a better sense of, okay, what drives me? What doesn't drive me? How do I work well in groups? How do I not work well in groups? Uh, I just started researching different things about how to uncover who you are. I looked at behavioral patterns. And that's another thing, too. The thoughts inside your head, they're just thoughts. But if you really want to know who you are or who other people are, watch what they do. Like, actions speak louder than words is so true. So I started looking at my historical behavior patterns. Am I the type of person who throws the party or am I just the type of person who attends the party? And I pieced together all of these traits that make up who I am that I, that honestly I did not know because I was only focused on swimming and winning. So what did you find out about yourself? I, I'm a reliable friend. I'm a, a very communicative person. I, I like to help people, if you can tell by what I'm doing today and writing this book and hopefully helping other athletes. Um, sometimes I think I'm funny, but that's not always the case. <laughs> Um, I definitely am an introverted extrovert. I, I love being in social settings, but I also love being a lone wolf. So um, some of these different aspects of me 
just getting to know myself in a different way. You mentioned that you've been depressed. How have you worked through that and, and where are you at with that now? Yeah. So Sorry, I'm asking some loaded me, questions here, but, but that's what we do on this show. So. Yeah. So I was super depressed. I was checked into the university hospital my junior year of college for suicidal thoughts. I, I didn't think that my life could get any better or I could figure out how to undo this trauma of being an athlete and then not being an athlete. Uh, and it's part of the stigma, too, but sometimes it sounds so pretentious to even express it this way. So you, oh, so I'm you struggle because I played a sport. So you struggled with this. This is your junior year. You retired after your freshman year. So for two years, you were struggling with this. Mm-hmm. And what finally, mm-hmm. what finally forced you to end up going into the hospital? What, what, what was the final straw that maybe hit, hit you? So I went to return a skirt that a friend let me borrow, and I went up to her door, and I knocked on her door to give it back to her. She opened the door and said, oh, hey, Kim, how are you? And that was literally it. She just asked how I was, and it caused me to reflect, okay, how am I? Oh, not good. I am actually very unwell. And I just started sobbing and crying, and I was like, I'm not good. And she pulled me into her house and sat me down on her bed and I talked to her about the thoughts I was having and the struggle I was experiencing, and she took me to the hospital and said, I think you need to get some professional help, and I agreed. And so how did that help you out? Uh, well, I was there for four days in the hospital, and this is interesting. I actually was in the maternity ward because the psych ward was full, so I don't know what that – I don't know if there were student athletes in there or what that goes to show, but I was in the maternity ward, And for me, honestly, I could have been sat in there and just done a questionnaire and had a psychiatrist ask me how I'm doing. And that I think that would have been enough. I just needed to take action to help myself instead of continuing in this perpetual cycle of struggling and not doing anything about it and not knowing what to do and feeling depressed and feeling dark all the time. I think just the act of checking myself in and having someone else acknowledge the pain I was going through, but that's all I needed at that moment. Well, we come back from this next break. I want to talk to you about how that changed you, how that has motivated you to move on. And because you obviously have, and writing this book is a catharsis for you in many ways. It's been good therapy for you, I'm sure. Mm-hmm. I'm talking to Kim Carducci. She's the author of The Eye of the Tiger. I'm sports psychologist Dr. Andrew Jacobs. This is the Sports Psychology Hour. This is the Sports Psychology Hour. This is the Sports Psychology Hour. Hello again, everyone. I'm sports psychologist Dr. Andrew Jacobs. This is the Sports Psychology Hour from our flagship station, Sports Radio 810 WHB in Kansas City. And I'm having a fascinating interview this morning. I'm talking with Kim Carducci. She's the author of a new book called The Eye of the Tiger, and she's sharing her experience about ending her swimming career and moving on in life. And the press release I got, the first line, Kim, I was nothing and no one without sports. So here you are in the hospital realizing I'm depressed. How'd you get out of there and how'd you move on? 
Yeah, so I was checked out after four days, and then I entered my senior year of high school, or sorry, senior year of college, and I did find myself back in the same patterns that I was doing for the last two years, which was just using alcohol to numb the trauma and the internal confusion I had about who I was. Of course, being in college, that was easy to do, and then I found myself feeling depressed again, so... I said, you know, I'm going to just cram all of my credits to graduate in this semester, and I'm going to graduate one semester early so I can just get away from school. I love Chapel Hill, but this is not serving me. I have a lot of negative experiences here. Let me just finish up school and move back home. And that's what I did. And for the next five, six years, which brings me to last year, I it looked like on the surface I was doing well. I had the job. I was making six figures at 25. I had the boyfriend. I had the new puppy. I had everything that looked like I was doing well on the surface. Except except, inter- except internal happiness. Right. Mm-hmm. I was still struggling beneath the surface with the trauma and just figuring out who I was and being so critical. I eventually came to really hate myself. It honestly sounds bad to say, but I wished that I could have woken up with a different personality. Can I, I was let so me, competitive. Let me ask you a question. Let me ask you a question. Did you consider talking to a therapist? I did. I had therapists. I never really vibed with them. I I couldn't find one that really clicked with me until last year. Well, I'm glad you so, found someone. That's good. I, That's good because yeah. I can tell. I can tell. Because if I can interrupt here, one of the things I'm picking up from you mm-hmm. was this internal dialogue that you're constantly going through day by day. You're not able to express it and voice it and deal with it, and that causes the stress and anxiety to build and build and build, and the tension to build. And as uh-huh. a as a competitive person, as a swimmer, like I've said, swimming is probably the most competitive of all. One of the most the top of the list of the most competitive sports. You're constantly pushing yourself. You're constantly pushing yourself to get better. You'll spend hours in the pool to drop a tenth of a second in, in the 100-meter backstroke. Mm-hmm. And you don't do it, and it can just drive you up a wall. And then you've got to deal with these feelings somehow. And that's why there are people like me around. That's why I've been doing this forever, and I'm going to do this as long as I can. I, my, my goal is to do it till. I'd like love being on the radio for 50 years and being in practice for 70 years. That's my goal. But I, I, I think the key thing is talking and expressing and sharing. And were you scared to do that, or were you just not really aware of what was going on? No, I wasn't scared to do that. I'm pretty much an open book, but I think I just never found a therapist. Well, also, there's the cost of therapy as well. Insurance, private insurance companies don't always have mental health on their list of things that they cover. You're 100 percent so correct on that's that. That's also, yeah. So that's also a hindrance too. Oh, do I want to pay 125, 200 dollars per session, especially if I want to go a couple times a month? Is that yeah, definitely worth it? But do I have the cost to do that? Um, so I probably didn't go because of that as well. Did you Did you have a sports uh, psychologist with your team at North Carolina? No. Was was there one in the athletic department that you're aware of? Not that I'm aware of. I did go after, well, I wasn't a student athlete at that point, but when I did go to therapy, it was just the regular psych, psychology counseling um, center. department. It wasn't, 
Right. Yeah, it wasn't athlete related. Well, this is why, and in, 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 you know, in your book, you touch on Michael Phelps, and and you know, we've got Naomi Osaka, we we have Simone Biles, we have all these things I've talked about on my show here for the last couple of months. And mm-hmm. athletes are people. You know, we 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 put athletes on this pedestal. I mean, I've shared forever. I was the Kansas City one of the first sports psychologists in baseball. I worked with the 1990 Kansas City Royals. Bo Jackson was on that team. In my opinion, maybe the greatest athlete of modern time. Bo Jackson had feelings. He was a person. Everybody who plays sports has feelings, has to do with emotions. And today with social media and all the demands placed on athletes, it's the psychological toll that some people have or have to deal with is more intense than ever. Do you agree with that? Absolutely. And, I mean, on that note, too, cyberbullying has become such a big thing with athletes. There's an entire Instagram account called Athletes Are Human to reflect what users are commenting on these athletes' social pages. I think when Naomi Osaka withdrew from the French Open, someone commented, oh, she's another POS athlete. Oh, you're making millions of dollars. Why are you withdrawing? You're so entitled. Things like that. Like People have access to athletes in such a negative way through social media now that probably also contributes to their poor mental health. Of course. Simone Biles, there's a guy that does a podcast, and I'm not even given the, the pleasure of saying his name. He called her a sociopath. <laughs> called her a sociopath because she withdrew from the Olympics because that al- allowed the Russians to win. I mean, it, it's it's sickness is what it That's is. Sick. Yeah, it's sick. And mm-hmm. see, but people have it. The, the social media, the, the benefits of it are out there, but the negatives out there are, are becoming more and more expressed now, especially with Instagram and all the issues with young girls with that. So as as an athlete then, you had to deal with this stuff, but you never really did because you maybe you weren't aware of it or there was nobody to talk to about it, or maybe you're just so busy trying to drop a tenth of a second, you didn't focus on yourself, did you? Right. That's exactly right. Anything other than focusing on winning is highly discouraged. <laughs> Right. And see, my, my definition of winning, Kim, is going out and doing the best you can today. It has nothing to do with what place you come in. Did you do better? And maybe you didn't drop time, but maybe you felt better about your performance. And and that's where a balance. See, one of my big words is balance when I work with people. How do you balance things mm-hmm. out? And it sounds like what you're telling me, you were so heavily focused on the competitive winning aspect, dropping time with swimming, you weren't spending enough time looking at yourself. Absolutely. That's right. And that's the problem with so many competitive elite level athletes. They have to learn how to balance things out. Do you agree? I do agree. And I think it's, I mean, it's almost an impossible task, especially with modern athletics today. You have to be all in on being one particular athlete in one particular sport. Right, You can't be a basketball and swimmer superstar in high school if you want to compete at the top colleges. You have to dedicate yourself to one and go all in on training and putting in the effort and all of the resources required to do that. It's, it's very intense on a singular pursuit. You, you just hit on the head what I've talked about on this show forever. Yeah, the, the youth, youth sports has changed so much in the last 15 mm-hmm. years. To now, yeah, you're right. You have to train on one sport year round if you want to be able to play anymore, to even play in high school. Okay, because if you're not, mm-hmm. you, you're competing against all these people who train year round. But the problem is burnout. The problem is depression. The problem is frustration. 
and you you train and train and train, but you don't get that scholarship. You don't get. I, I just talked to an athlete yesterday, a high school football player, and he's on his uh, he's a sophomore playing on JV, and he's the third the third string quarterback, and he's he's frustrated. I played football my whole life, and I don't get to play, and I don't know what I'm going to oh. do. So. Yeah, this is an issue that goes on a lot. I'm talking with Kim Carducci today. She's the author of The Eye of the Tiger, a new book that I would encourage everyone who's in sports to get because her experience has given her an an awareness of how important your identity is when you you identify as an athlete. But you've got to have balance in your life. And in our last segment we come back, we're going to talk about this with her, how she's moved on, and how she's helping people out now. Because, Kim, you've got a message you're sharing with people now that people need to hear. And I want to talk with you about that on our last segment. I'm sports psychologist Dr. Andrew Jacobs. This is a great interview this morning. This is a wonderful young lady. I'm glad she joined us today. We're talking with Kim Carducci, the author of Eye of the Tiger. I'm sports psychologist Dr. Andrew Jacobs. This is the Sports Psychology Hour. This is the Sports Psychology Hour. This is the Sports Psychology Hour. Again, everyone, I am sports psychologist Dr. Andrew Jacobs. This is the Sports Psychology Hour. We're on Sports Radio 810 WHBR, our flagship station. And today I'm having a tremendous interview with Kim Carducci. She's the author of a new book called The Eye of the Tiger. She's a former Division I athlete who's talked about in this book about mental health and her adjustment to life after sport and how her identity as an athlete has changed so much. So, Kim, where do we go from here? Okay, we need, and I've, as I've mentioned on this show forever, we need to educate coaches, we need to educate athletes, parents about sports, the benefits, but the, the negatives associated with it too. And I always say if you make it, make it to collegiate sports, you survive youth sports because the mm-hmm. in, in, intense competitiveness that goes on. So... You wrote this book, obviously, to help people. You have a website. You're working with, with people to try to educate people. How do we get the message out? How do we get athletes to understand the balance that they need to have? Yeah, I think it just starts with exposing yourself to new knowledge. I mean, of course, I have my book, but even you know, interviews like this or podcasts or other books. I mean, I read a bunch of athlete memoirs. I think hearing their stories is helpful. Reading articles, reaching out to teammates, just exposing yourself to what's out there and what's being published about athlete mental health helps grow your awareness. And I think that's the first step, that education piece, that awareness piece, because that historically has not been there. Well, four years ago, I co-authored a book called Just Let Him Play, Guiding Parents, Coaches, and Athletes for Youth Sports with Kansas City Royals Hall of Fame pitcher Jeff Montgomery and USA Swimming Hall of Fame coach Pete Malone, who both of whom I worked with and both of whom coached each of my sons. And we wrote that book because of the issues with youth sports and about the whole issue. You know, the, the word that keeps popping up in my mind here is balance, how you balance it out. And for you, what I'm hearing is your identity was so heavily associated with being a swimmer, swimmer, swimmer. You didn't know who you were outside of that. And... When you stopped swimming, you had to figure that out. And it, it, it took you time and, and took a visit to a hospital before you started to open up and realize that. I mean, am I hearing that correctly? Yes, you are. And I think 
part of it too is just having enough time removed from the sport where I have, excuse me, where I have different perspectives now. Like I really got into Buddhism a couple years ago. I think up until a couple years ago, I was still thinking and approaching my life with the perspective of, okay, nothing's going to be as glorious and fulfilled and gratifying as my sports journey. Like competing for the gold and winning and all of those things, that, that was so prideful and glorious. Nothing will feel as good as that. And I think that's what was keeping me rooted in the past and rooted in that identity. But I think just having some wisdom of being 10 years removed now, I can approach my life with, okay, well, I don't have to be this perfect robot athlete machine. I can just be another human being on the planet. It's okay if I'm actually average at things or bad at things. Oh, no. Like, that was my biggest fear. It's okay. I'm self-compassionate now more so than I've ever been. I don't expect perfection. I expect a human. When my when my son Gregory called me uh, his senior year, beginning of his senior year at New York University, and I recall the phone call very vividly, uh, Dad, I made a decision about something. I said, what's that? And he goes, I'm not going to swim anymore. I said, okay, that's fine. I mean, he wasn't on scholarship. He didn't have to. He was doing something he did because he enjoyed uh-huh. it. I said, why? What's the reason? He goes, well, I'm not going to become a professional swimmer. And this school costs a lot of money. I need to start making some money. And I said, great. You know, and, and he moved on. Um, and I've I've kept in contact with so many of the, the young people I work with with the Kansas City Blazers swim team. And, you know, it, it's interesting. The lessons you learn being a swimmer are tremendous, but also can be so detrimental because of the, the intense focus. And that's what I'm hearing from you. So how have you learned to move on from that and adjust to life outside of the pool because that competitive nature is there every day all the time. Yeah, I guess the biggest thing for me is I'm less affected by the outcomes of whatever happens where, whereas before, you know, I'm so competitive. I'm so I'm emotional. I'm sensitive. I want to win. I want to do well. I want to be good. And if that was not what the outcome was, I was so highly affected by that. And whether good or bad, if I won, I was on the high, high, high. If I lost, I was on the low, low, low. I think the difference now between me now and my athlete identity years ago is I still strive to do well. I still want to do things well. I still want to win. I'm still competitive. That will always be That's part always of my gonna, personality. Yeah, it's always going to be part of who you are. There's no question. Yeah. But yeah, I'm just generally less affected. If if it doesn't pan out the way I expected, I practice acceptance and I'm okay with it. So what you're saying is, Kim, you've learned that you don't have to come in first place to be happy. Mm-hmm. Absolutely. Yeah, and 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 that's why I think we, we you know, one of the issues we have with youth sports today is the in in and this is just my opinion. I know there are people who don't agree. But I feel very strongly we put too much emphasis on having to win instead of enjoying the experience and having fun and learning and growing. Sports is the greatest, I think it's the greatest discipline to learn about who you are because you have to physically, emotionally, spiritually challenge yourself, mentally challenge yourself every day. But how you can balance that out, and it sounds sounds like for you, you didn't have the balance in there. It sounds like the, the emphasis was so much on having to win, having to win, having to win and compete that you didn't have that balance. I have a little... You know who you know who Gumby is, Kim? Yeah, the cartoon character. Yeah, I have a little figurine of him on my desk with with the horse Pokey that he sits on, 
And I always talk about with my athletes about flex, about flexibility, about flexibility, being flexible and having balance. And I think that's so, so important. And, you know, you can be the best athlete there is, but you're still a person and you've got to deal with that other side. And I think that's why I was I've, I've always said a good coach is a good psychologist, a bad coach is a sports psychologist. And I think, you know, for you, you've learned so much since you've since you've left the competitive world. As we wrap up the show here, what do you want to share with people? How can for parents who are listening to this, coaches who are listening to this, athletes who are listening, our shows are podcasts everywhere. What would you tell them about how to deal with this better when they're competing? Yeah, I think just growing your awareness um, and really getting in tune with who you are, because even advice from experts, it may not always work for you specifically. There's no one blanket solution for every problem. So I think just getting in tune with who you are, what works for you, what doesn't work for you, and growing awareness of how you're feeling so you have somewhat of a gauge when things maybe are not feeling right. Because when you do that, especially as an athlete, and especially if you're a perfectionist athlete, no one's better at hiding flaws and hiding errors than a perfectionist athlete. So getting in tune with, you know, when maybe when things are not feeling that well and growing that awareness so that you can start to, you know, take a step forward and have that responsibility and help yourself if things are not going right, um, as opposed to me and suffering from depression, deep depression for two to three years. Let me ask you as we wrap up here, where where are you at now emotionally, psychologically? How are you doing? I'm honestly the healthiest I've ever been in my life. That's great to hear. Why? Tell us why. Just the, just doing this introspection work. I think, you know, I have a list of 14 things I do or perspectives I have that I count as, quote, unquote, good mental health that just allow me to live a life that's stable and rooted and with a good perspective. Um, and I've just learned a lot about life, honestly, and just myself over the past year and a half, honestly. And I've just toned down some of the harsher characteristic traits about me, not in a negative way, not to shut out parts of me, but just in a way that allows me to manage the emotional spike. So I feel more at peace, more at calm than I ever have. And I think the biggest thing that I noticed too is I just have a level of confidence about whatever life throws my way. I know I can manage it. Whereas before I might be, okay, if this happens, oh my gosh, it's going to derail me for three weeks or I'm going to suffer from depression for two years where now the worst thing could happen, but I have a self-confidence in my emotional ability to manage it. That's awesome. Now we got to wrap things up. I'm going to have you back on again. This has been a great interview. How can people reach you, Kim Carducci? How can they get a hold of you? Sure. Everythingathletes.com is my website and my book, The Eye of the Tiger is available on Amazon as well. Thank you so much for joining us today. This has been a fascinating interview and one I've needed to do for a long time with someone and you're the perfect person to do it with. Uh, best of luck with your book. I'm sure it's going to do great because people need to hear this, your message. And I want to thank you for joining me today, Kim. Thank you so much. Thank you so much for having me. I'm sports psychologist, Dr. Andrew Jacobs. You can always get a hold of me a lot of ways. My office number is 816-561-5556. Follow me on Twitter at at drjsportspsych. My website is winnersunlimited.com. Send me an email at drj at winnersunlimited.com. Our shows are podcasted everywhere. Go to my website, winnersalumina.com, or any of the podcast 
areas. They're all out there. Tell people to listen to this show today. It is Mental Illness Awareness Week. People need to become aware of who they are. Take care. This is the Sports Psychology Hour.